the concept of faith is a difficult concept and it's not helped by dumb sayings that people put out there about faith. And I'm going to give you some of these dumb sayings. Here's one of them. Faith is not believing that God can, it is knowing that he will. Now, there's some truth in that, right? And this is you just, um, it's just a Sondergel word of warning. There's some really nice, well-meaning Christian people who can put nice little phrases together. A lot of them will get, it, get you into trouble because they're mostly truth with a little bit of feel-good in it, right? Now, the Bible's got plenty of feel-good, okay? If you've been here at the project long enough, you've heard feel-good, right? You've also heard warnings. So the, Bible can, the Bible's quite um, clear about the difference between a warning and a feel-good and oftentimes we want to get into the feel-good all the time. Here's another one. Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Yeah, maybe. These ones freak me out a little bit, right? Now, I'm probab- I'll be honest with you, I'm probably by nature a little bit of a sceptic, all right? That's, that's what I am by nature. So someone says something to me that's true and I automatically want to know why you can trust that, whether it's true, what's your evidence for it, it's just like roll it out, all right? Tell me what it all is and then there might be a chance and I'm actually going to trust it. This is probably the one I hate the most. Sometimes the best thing you can do is not think. Like, seriously? <laughs> seriously? I work with teenagers. That's the number one problem. They don't think. <laughs> not wonder, not imagine, not obsess, just breathe and have faith that everything will work out for the best. It's terrible, right? <laughs> terrible. I'm going to find out one day that someone famous wrote it and then they'll call me on my mobile. And they go, hey, what did you say in this sermon? Faith is not hoping God can, it is knowing he will. I don't like that one either. Because I'm not going to get ahead of myself, but faith is not faith in an outcome. It's never faith in an outcome. That's faith in an outcome, right? And, no, I'm not going to get into it now. Let your faith be bigger than your fears. Well, good luck with that, right? True? It's like wishing well. I mean, anyone here who's been in the grip of anxiety and fear know that it looms large and it dominates. You don't, you don't, it's not like you need to have some kind of wishful thinking it's going to end up well. You need some kind of alternative to that. <laughs> now the best, I'm going to show you the best one. The best one's by Philip Yancey, right? But I still, it just, it's good. But it needs more explanation. And to be honest, Philip Yancey probably gives it more explanation. So I'm not having a go at him. I think it's a very good one. It gets, it gets very close. 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 I have learned that faith means trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. That's, that's probably true. See, part of the problem with faith is faith in our culture means something different to what the Bible says faith is. Faith in our culture seems to have more to do with a leap in the dark or blind faith. It's only something that religious people do and other people don't actually have faith. And the problem with it is that if our culture thinks that that's what faith is, every time you talk about faith, every time a preacher talks about faith, generally people are hearing not the biblical understanding of it, but the cultural understanding, which is a messy one. I'm going to show you a clip from Pastor Richard Dawkins. That's tongue-in-cheek, right? (laughs) He's an atheist. So I always like to hear what the atheists have got to say. messes with my head sometimes. I'll just be upfront with you about that. But there's this interesting question on Q&A a little while ago 
where someone from the audience asked Patrick McGorry, who was the Australian of the Year psychiatrist dude, whether, uh, that's his official title, whether um, someone who's a Christian or has a religious faith has got a mental illness. <laughs> True. Now, the interesting thing is Dawkins is on the panel. He doesn't get first shot at it, but you notice he has a shot because the, uh, the guy running it gives him a shot at it. Now, the interesting, I'll just tip you off about this, right? One of the things that I, that I used to teach in school here is I used to teach fallacies in argumentation, right? A fallacy is basically a part of an argument that invalidates the argument, okay? So if you're arguing with someone and they pull out a fallacy, you don't even really need to worry about what they're talking about. You can just kind of write it off. Richard Dawkins uses the ad hominem fallacy all the time, right? The ad hominem fallacy is attacking the individual instead of actually dealing with the arguments, okay? So he just says all the time Christians are stupid and Muslims are stupid and people who believe in God are stupid. He just says that stuff all the time, right? He doesn't actually deal with the arguments themselves particularly well. He tends to just trash talk people and that's what he does here. So if you hear it and you go, oh, it's terrible, you know, and your knees start knocking even when you're sitting down, just relax, right? You don't need to pay that much attention to him. Anyway, here we go. Well, uh, there's a question down the front. I'm going to come to you in a moment. But first of all, we've got a question that uh, draws in Patrick McGorry, and I'm going to go to Dan Anderson first. Hello, Dan. There's Dan. Yeah. Uh, for pr pr Professor McGorry, uh, in your experience, do you think that belief in a transcendent being or in the transcendent in general is part of uh, normal, healthy human psychology, or is it a symptom of mental illness? <laughs> That's obviously a trick question, right? Um, Do your best, Philip. <clears throat> well, look, you know, um, I've looked after a lot of people uh, over the last 20 or 30 years who have had very significant psychiatric disorders, and, um, you know, it's quite common for religious themes to, to actually manifest within the, within the context of their symptoms, so, you know, religion and uh, mental health do coexist in that way. But, but clearly also spirituality is an, is an important part of posi positive mental health. So I think um, there's two sides to this coin. And, um, you know, um, I think the question, we could talk about that for hours, really. Let's go back to Richard Dawkins. I mean, you refer to belief in God as the God delusion. Um, I'm wondering whether you think that spirituality may have a positive psychological benefit, as the questioner implies. No, I don't think it has a positive psychological benefit. As to, as to whether religious belief is a, is a mental illness, I don't think it's fair to call it a mental illness because so many people actually do it. On the other hand, I think we could say that if you met one person, just one person, who claimed to believe some of the things that religious people as a whole claim to believe, you would think they were suffering from that. Um, from that <laughs> I mean, it's just because so many of them believe it um, that we treat it as, as, as normal. But if you actually met somebody who said he believed that water could turn into wine, a man could walk on water, um, that a man could raise somebody else from the, from the dead, you'd say, well, put him away. Um, <laughs> but because so many people believe it, uh, you, you take it seriously. Interesting, isn't it? Now, it's just not true that it's only religious people that have faith. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give you a couple of quotes out of a, uh, a book by Frank Turek and Norman Geisler. Norman Geisler is probably one of the top uh, Christian apologists. And uh, apologetics is a defense of the faith. So it's giving reasons for the faith. They, uh, the two of them wrote this book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. <laughs> yeah. All right? Yeah. And the point, of the, book, the point of the book is that it takes far less faith to be a Christian than it takes to be an atheist. All right? So here's a couple of quotes uh, from uh, Geisler and uh, Turek. He says this, 
They say this, the scientific evidence overwhelmingly confirms that the universe exploded into being out of nothing. Either someone created something out of nothing, the Christian view, or no one created something out of nothing, the atheist view. Which view is more reasonable? The Christian, faith, the Christian view. Which view requires more faith? The atheistic view. Fair enough? They go on to write this later in the book. It certainly takes more faith to believe that human beings evolved from the random interaction of molecules which somehow had to come into existence themselves than to, to believe in a creator. It takes more faith. So Turek and Geyser are saying that faith is the thing that actually bridges the gap between the evidence and what you actually believe. The second point they make is this. The, simple form, the simplest life form contains the information equivalent of 1,000 encyclopedias. Christians believe only an intelligent being can create a life form containing the equivalent of a thousand encyclopedias. Atheists believe non-intelligent natural forces can do it. Christians have evidence to support their conclusion. Since atheists don't have any such evidence, their belief requires a lot more faith. Fair enough? It's true. So the reason why I'm putting this out there is because some of you might be thinking, oh, maybe I am stupid for having faith. No, it's actually really reasonable. It's incredibly reasonable to have faith and to be a Christian. It's probably taking Richard Dawkins a lot more faith to believe what he believes than it would take for a Christian. Here's the last point uh, Turek and Geisler make. Hundreds of years beforehand, ancient writings foretold the coming of a man who would actually be God. It's clear, we know that, right? The book of Isaiah, which is incredibly clear about Jesus, we know was written in the 8th century BC or somewhere near there. This man, God, it was foretold, would be born in a particular city from a particular bloodline, suffer in a particular way, die at a particular time and rise from the dead to atone for the sins of the world. Immediately after the predicted time, multiple eyewitnesses, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and others, proclaimed and later recorded that those predicted events had actually occurred. Those eyewitnesses endured persecution and death when they could have saved themselves by denying the events, which they didn't do. Thousands of people in Jerusalem were then converted after seeing or hearing of these events and this belief swept quickly across the ancient world. Ancient historians and writers allude to or confirm these events and archaeology corroborates them. Okay? It takes more faith in the light of that to be an atheist than it, than it does to be a Christian. Okay? So if you want to read more, you can get that book on Kindle. You'd be able to get it at Kurong. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. But there's one problem with what, uh, and, and I'm sure Geisler and Turek would agree with this as well, so I'm, I'm not criticising them, but there's one problem with the whole idea that faith bridges the gap between evidence and uh, what someone ends up believing, and that's this. The biblical understanding of faith is not a, a belief in propositions. It's not a belief in a truth. And I'll give you a, an example of uh, the difference between the two of these. The story uh, goes, uh, Charles Blunden was a French tightrope walker. And uh, one of his uh, famous stunts, the story goes like this about one of his famous stunts, is he stretched the rope across Niagara Falls. And he said to the crowd that was there, he said, who thinks that I can walk across this rope to the other side? No harness, no nothing. The crowd said, yeah, you can do it. He walks across, he comes back. He says, who thinks I can push this wheelbarrow across on the rope to the other side of Niagara Falls and come back? And they all go, yeah, 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 we reckon you can do it, right? And then he goes, who reckons I can put this sack of potatoes in the wheelbarrow and push it across the rope to the other side of the falls? And they're all, yeah, it's just, yeah, man, Blunden, you can, you can get it done, right? So he goes across, he comes back and he goes, who reckons I could actually put someone in this wheelbarrow and take them across the rope and back again? 
And they're all going, yeah, you can do it, man. He goes, right, who's my volunteer? Right? That's how the story goes. And you know what? He didn't have a volunteer. Because there's a big difference between believing a proposition and believing and trusting in a person, isn't there? And that's the difference biblically when it comes to faith, right? I can give you all the apologetics in the world and you can believe the propositional ideas, but it actually is going to come down to whether you actually trust a person. You see, John 14 verse 6, Jesus actually says this. He says, I am the way and the the truth and the life. So here's the thing. If you're going to believe biblical propositions or biblical truth, you have to intersect with a person. It's not just about, and this is one of my beefs about uh, theological and ministry training to some degree, is theological and ministry training becomes an investigation sometimes of just propositional truths in the Bible. You're not actually terminating at a propositional truth, you're always terminating at a person. So your trust, your faith in, in the Bible is not a faith in the text, it's a faith in the person who's behind it, in the person who speaks it. In the Logos, according to John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word and if you actually trust the Bible, you actually need to intersect with a person and trust in a person. Does that make sense? That's the deal. And I would say to you, if you only trust in propositional truths that exist in the Bible and you don't trust in a person, I'd say you're not a Christian because that's not Christianity. Christianity is not reading the Bible and believing everything in the Bible. Christianity is reading the Bible, believing the Bible and trusting in the person who's the author of the Bible. That's what it is. Does that make sense? Okay. So let's get on to where we're up to today. This is my cryptic title, Unseen Seeing Faith just going to read from Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 to 3 so if you've got an app or a Bible you can crack it open actually don't do that if it's an iPhone because we're not paying for the new screen I've got Hebrews 1 1 to 3 but it's meant to be Hebrews 11 verse 1 to 3 here's what it says now faith is the assurance In other versions, it says the substance of things hoped for, the conviction or the evidence of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are invisible. Now, I'm going to add a couple of notes. So if you can look at it on your screen there or up on the, or in your Bible or up on the screen there, I'm just going to add a couple of notes. I'm going to read it again. Now, faith is the assurance. Now, notice faith is the present tense experience. Do you notice that? That's present tense. Faith is. Okay? So, the writer of Hebrews wants you to know that it's faith into the future that's going to sustain you, but it's not just a future thing. It's actually a present tense experience as well. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. What's that? Yeah, future tense, right? That's the future. So, you experience it in the present but it's got a a future orientation. The conviction of things not seen. So he's really saying, and and we all actually believe this, all right? This is probably part of this scripture that's disturbed me a little bit over the years, but you better believe that we all believe in things that you can't see, touch, smell, or measure with the senses. True? It's just, just, I mean, you you could go up to someone and say, can you tell me, does love exist? 
Now you could say, well, people give each other a cuddle, right? Well, that's an expression of love, but can you, can you measure love for me? Can you? Well, you can't. You can't measure. And so we all traffic in this. And whether you're a Christian or a religious person or not, you all traffic in the reality that there's things that exist that you believe in that you can't actually uh, measure with the five senses. For by it the people of old received their commendation. You know what my paraphrase for that is? God liked it. <laughs> like God actually likes people who have faith. You know, we talk a lot about God loves you. You know, I mean, He just likes it when you have faith. He likes you. So, I don't know. Some of you maybe look at me blankly, but like if you just stop on that for a minute, that, that could be a pretty profound thought for some people. Because maybe you live in a reality where you just think you're always trying to avoid God's frown. He's saying, don't, you don't have to go frown avoidance, all right? I'm frownophobic. I'm divine frownophobic, all right? Oh, yeah, we all are, right? But that's not, the writer of Hebrews is saying, that's not the deal here. The deal here is God loves it when people have faith. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Now, notice that. The invisible world created the visible. Now, here's where the problem is. Atheists don't think there is an invisible world, ultimately. The only thing that's worth knowing is the, thing that you can know, the stuff that you can know with the five senses, but they run into some significant issues there. Anyway, so here's what I'm going to fly through today. Three things about faith. One of them is, uh, what is faith? The second one is uh, faith versus evidence. And you've noticed I've crossed that out because that's a false dichotomy, all right? A lot of people think you either have faith or you go with the evidence. Faith and evidence go together, always, all right? And you'll see that faith and evidence go together biblically as well. And the third one there is that God likes faith. All right, here we go. What faith is? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. If you actually look at the, uh, the Greek word behind the word faith in Hebrews 11 verse 1, some people trying to see that magic eye image. <laughs> no, it's actually where's Wally. No, I'm kidding. It's not. <laughs> the, uh, the, word, the actual Greek word behind the word for faith in Hebrews 11 verse 1 is pistis. I don't know whether that's exactly how you say it, but that's basically, that's the uh, phonetics pronunciation of it. And you know what it actually means? The word for faith actually means, a Greek word for faith means active trust. Now, as soon as you hear that, if you start thinking about who do I trust, you'll actually notice that the people you trust are the people who have built trust by the way that they've, they've acted. And then if you follow the logical train of thought, you'll notice, okay, if they've built trust, that actually means that I've got a whole bunch of evidence for why I should trust them for something that I don't see. Do you get the point? And so you actually see from the original... Um, language there that it actually gives us a little bit of a pointer about the fact that faith is active trust. And here's the thing, the writer of Hebrews wants you to know that faith is the evidence of stuff that's not actually seen. Let me give you an example of this. Did anyone here see me walk to church this morning? Gilmore did. Okay. Which way did I walk, Gilmore? It would have been weird if I went backward, wouldn't it? 
just, oh, he's turned Satanist on us. He does everything in reverse. No, no, which way did I come? Did I walk down the road? Just across the vacant, well, we live just over the other side of that vacant block out there, right? Just for those who don't know. Now, the rest of you didn't see that, right? Do you believe him? Why do you believe him? You've seen me do it before. Okay, so now we're actually starting to get some evidence in there. It's interesting no one said because I trust Nathan. (laughs) (laughs) I could have driven because sometimes I drive. Some of you are going, what the heck would you drive for? (laughs) Sorry? Okay, all right. Now here's, notice this, right? He just said that he saw me walk across. The rest of you didn't see it, right? Can you see how his eyewitness testimony to something has actually become the evidence of something that happened that you didn't see? You see that? And it's a bit like that with your uh, 3D kind of magic eye stuff, right? I've never been able to see, D, see 3D magic eye stuff. Other people... Yeah, see him just going, really? You poor deprived child. <laughs> All right? I've never been able to see it, right? But does that mean it doesn't exist? No, and here's the thing, for me, whenever people say they see see a 3D magic eye, their seeing of it becomes the evidence that it actually exists when I can't see it. Does that make sense? So you can see here there's a little bit of a mechanism going on here that the the writer of Hebrews is saying is someone seeing something is actually the evidence of its existence. Now he's not saying that that's the complete definition of what faith is, but that's a good contributor, true? It's probably the most... Uh, the, the clearest um, teaching on faith in the Bible, but it's not exhaustive. I think the thing that really helped me when I was doing my preparation this week is this whole notion of trust, because trust is built. If faith is active trust, trust is built. And that's where evidence actually comes in. There's this really interesting, let me just... I might make a quick note on that too. Not only is trust built, but I actually think people by default are trusters. They just trust things. By default. I actually think that's just an anthropological reality of human beings is that they just trust things. Yeah, I'm a registered cancer and I'm doing a little bit of professional counselling on the side as well as the other stuff that I'm up to this year. And that's one of the things I often work through with uh, people that I'm meeting with is you can always find a place where they put their trust. So here's the thing. Some of you in the room might be saying or thinking inside, you think, well, I'm not a Christian and I don't place my trust in a religious way. Well, I would say to you, you make something else religious. You make something else a God that you trust in to help you, whether it be your bank account or whether it be your, uh, your house or your car, or whether it be some of your friendships. People just trust stuff all the time because trust is an outflow of of a worshipper and uh, we believe really clearly, is that mine? Yeah, there you go. Now some of you are going, he's got no idea where he's going. He doesn't know whether that's his sheet or not. (laughs) See, trust is, biblically the idea of trust is is actually a worship. It's a worship word. That's what it is. You, You worship someone and you trust in someone, you trust the person that you worship and you worship the person that you trust or the thing that you trust. And the thing is that people trust all the time. You cannot stop a human being trusting things. And the good thing about all of this 
is that God provides lots and lots of evidence for and gives good reasons why you should trust him. But here's the thing, God's always going to call people to go beyond the evidence that they've got. If you actually have a look at uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 24 to 25, it makes this really interesting comment. Paul says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. Now I would say a similar thing about faith. If you've got the thing in front of you, that you think you're supposed to have faith in and it's already happened or the evidence is already there, that's not actually faith, all right? Faith is always going beyond the evidence that you've got sitting in front of you. For who hopes in what he sees but we hope for what we do not see and we wait for it with patience. You see, physical eyesight produces conviction or evidence of visible things, right? Faith is the organ that produces a conviction uh, of things that are invisible, And God gives evidence to help you in that direction. In fact, uh, we actually see this in uh, Hebrews 11 verse 27. We'll be getting to that in a week or two. It talks about Moses here. It says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is, is invisible, right? Now Moses had some lots of good evidence about God. He had good reasons to trust God, but it actually got to the point in his life where he had to use faith to see things that were invisible that hadn't actually happened yet. And a lot of times, I mean, I was just talking to Matt Gary about this earlier, but I'm not going to go into it because it'll just take too long. But last night, I was a bit anxious about something. And you know what I, what I wanted is I wanted God to just unfold everything for me so I didn't need to trust him. And I only realised it about half an hour in. I'm lying in bed awake and I'm not going to sleep. I'm a little bit anxious about this thing. And then all of a sudden it just clicked for me and I just thought, no, God wouldn't give me everything that I'm concerned about because then I wouldn't need to trust. And God's interested in people trusting because that's what faith is. And he likes, he likes faith, right? He likes faith. So he's going to encourage that and he's going to work in that direction, but he will give you evidence. So here's the second one. Faith versus evidence. Faith and evidence are not in opposition. And it's important to know, based on what I've just said, evidence is not actually faith. But evidence feeds and informs trust. Here we go. At the end of the Gospel of John, in John 20, note this. Because some Christians say, and they always freak me out when they say it, they just go, I'm just going against all the evidence. And you just go, oh, well, maybe sometimes God calls you to do that, right? But you better have a whole bunch of evidence for why you're doing what you're doing. People like that kind of freak me out a little bit. And maybe there's some of you here like that, and I'm not meaning to offend you. But they they just get me really nervous because most of the time, God doesn't call people in a particular direction without giving them good reasons to head in that direction. Will he call them past the evidence? Absolutely. He does that all the time. But he will always give evidence. Here's John 20, verse 30 to 31 the back end of John's gospel, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Why did John write the whole of his gospel? For evidence. All right? He says, here's your evidence. And then he calls people to trust in Jesus and go beyond the evidence. Is it true that God's going to put you in situations where there's very little evidence about that direct situation? Yeah, he's going to do that most of the time. 
But prior to that, you're going to have a whole history of him working and him communicating to you, and you can even get into all the apologetics of it, that gives you a solid guarantee that you can head into the area that you don't have evidence for. True? So you should go boldly into it. Amen? Are you going okay? Yeah? Is this... Uh, I haven't kind of... haven't pulled the brain muscle or anything? It's okay. I was a bit concerned about this one, but we'll just keep going, eh? And the big problem, if I can just add this, the big problem that there is with evidence is evidence doesn't actually lead to faith or trust in God. They're not, it's, it's not a default outcome. Okay? Now, let me give you an example. I was teaching a class uh, at one point in time in my teaching career and uh, we watched this uh, video where uh, a guy called Gary Habermas, who's a, a very smart guy, spent a lot of time working on the resurrection in terms of the, the actual evidence for it, was debating, um, at the time, he was one of the foremost academic atheists in the world, Anthony Flew. Now, I showed some of this to one of my classes, right? Because I think the best thing to do to find out whether Christianity stacks up is get the best atheist and the best Christian and let them go at each other and see who wins, all right? Now, these guys were very nice to each other. They'd obviously been friends for 10 or 15 years and they're very nice to each other. Anyway, I showed a lot of this debate and you know what ended up happening is Anthony Flew ended up agreeing with most of what Gary Habermas said. And we finished watching it in the class and a student said to me, a student said, so why doesn't he become a Christian? If he ended up agreeing with most of what Gary Habermas, the Christian, said about the resurrection, why doesn't he become a Christian? You know why? Because evidence, believing evidence is not faith. It's not. Now, evidence is critical to faith, but it's not faith. The step, you see, the, the issue, the next issue for Anthony Flew was that he had to work out whether he was actually going to put his trust in the person of Christ. And at that point in time, he hadn't. Now, the interesting thing is, it was in the Australian about 10 years ago. He kind of, a bit of an atheist turncoat. He's, he's a deist now, right? Which is, we'll take that. Okay, he's in his 80s. He's a deist. Uh, which basically means he believes a God exists and he said that the, the argument for the resurrection is probably the best one going around in terms of the options, the God options that you've got out there. But he's not, some, some people go, oh, he's become, no, he hasn't become a Christian. All right? But here's the thing. Proof or evidence is not faith. And here's another good example of it. Some of you guys uh, might have heard of this guy, Friedrich Nietzsche. He's the brains behind uh, the Nazis, philosophical brains. If one were to prove this God of the Christians to us, we should be even less able to believe in him. It is our preference that decides against Christianity, not arguments. That's, he's right. right? I, I remember hearing Ravi Zacharias, an apologist, say, the job of an apologist is to get rid of all the stumbling blocks that people have to Christianity except the moral one. People have got to work out, am I actually going to trust this person of Jesus or not? That's what it's going to come down to, right? And the fear for a lot of people is if they actually trust Jesus, it's going to cost them. You can actually uh, see this in motion, faith in motion, if you, uh, if you look at Hebrews 11 verse 3, because the writer of Hebrews gives you an illustration of his concept of faith in the first bit. It says this, Sorry, I'll just do the bottom one first. Hebrews 11 verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe is created by the word of God so that what is seen is, was not made out of things that are visible. Now, here's what it says in Romans 1 verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, this is God, 
have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Now, note this. Active trust changes Romans 1 verse 20 into Hebrews 11 verse 3. Do you see that? Everyone sees a wonderful creation out there, but not everyone sees it and thinks that God made it out of nothing with his words. Everyone gets to look at the same evidence, but not everyone comes to the same conclusion, and the difference is trust and faith. It's active trust. Does that make sense? Now, that would have been cool to be there at creation, wouldn't it? Now, you couldn't be because there was nothing there, and that's what the Bible says, and if you're there, then there's not nothing there. But wouldn't it be cool? You're just there, and there's, there's, there's just nothing. And then all of a sudden, some God speaks, and all of a sudden, we've got a universe. He, he speaks, and there's a universe. Now, it just happens to fit in with science really well because science says at some point in time there was nothing. It would have been amazing. You see, faith is not just a responding act of the soul. It's a grasping or perceiving, understanding act. You see, you can see the created world in Romans chapter 1 there and not see God in it. You see, faith is, not, is when we don't just believe in the existence of creation because we know it is there, but he's believing that he made it with words. That's what it is. Point three, why faith matters. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. Faith matters because God loves it. If he loves something, you just, don't you do it? He's not a drill sergeant. For those who love him, he's your dad. He's a good dad. So do it. He loves it. I mean, when you have faith and when you have active trust in God, feel free, picture him smiling. True? He just loves it. He loves it when you have faith. When you have a situation when you're a buffhead and you've been lying in bed for half an hour like me, being anxious about something, then you realise, oh, he's not just going to give me that because he wants me to trust him. And then you start to trust him and you start to work out how to trust him. He starts smiling because that's what he wants. And do you know why he wants that? Because that's how he made it to be. God never ever made it to be that he would give to you and you would give back. He always made it to be that he would give everything to you and you would just keep taking from him. And you'd keep trusting him. That's how he made it to be. In fact, you're living outside of the created order when you decide you're going to trust something else and not him. And that's why it doesn't work particularly well. And that's why it breaks down. He loves to be everything that you need. Everything. Everything. Amen? Are you, you're not excited enough about that. You're not. Here's the thing, most of us are probably still in this, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, this even Stephen thing, you know, where we give to God and we try to give him, you know, we know we'll never make it, but we'd like to give him a bit anyway, you know, throw him a few crumbs or something of our efforts so that he can, because he keeps giving us and we, we kind of like to make, you can't make any contribution to him. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need what you've got. He's far more interested in, you, in him giving you everything that you need. I, th- I remember reading a passage by John Piper where he said, it doesn't glorify a mountain spring to take a bucket of town water up and pour it on top of the mountain spring. 
He says it glorifies a mountain spring by getting down on your hands and knees and putting your face in it and drinking from it. True? It's true. Faith matters because people are not the because religious people are not the only ones who have faith. And I'd encourage you today, if you haven't put your trust in Christ, you're missing out on a reward, you're missing out on present help, you're missing out on the enjoyment of it, you're missing out on health and wholeness and healing for the mess in your life, because we're all a mess, all right? It's not just people who don't follow Jesus that are a mess. We're all a mess. The Bible's really clear. Everyone's in a mess, and they can't get out of it themselves. And Christians in church, I mean, sometimes people go, the church is full of hypocrites. Well, probably it is. Because we've all got a mess. So let's just be open about the fact we've all got a mess and go to Jesus and get some active trust in him to help us with the mess that we've got. Anyone with me on that? Yeah, come on. We've just got to keep getting help with the mess, right? We never get out of the mess until he comes to clean up the mess at the end and he fixes everything up. And the writer of Hebrews sees faith as that trust in God that enables a believer to press on steadfastly whatever the future holds for him and this is what we talked about last week it's going to be faith it's going to be active trust that's going to take you forward now let me finish with a couple of really quick application points faith is going to be critical when you get tempted to do something that God says not to do because in that moment you're going to have a promise from God about that particular area but you're not going to be the recipient and the owner of the the promise until you hold on to it, that will come later. Does that make sense? Uh, I think it's Psalm 1611 says, uh, in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand and pleasures forevermore. When you're in the midst of a temptation, it looks good. It's chocolate-coated poison. And it promises you things. At the same time, God promises you things. And active trust and faith operates at that moment. I mean, it operates at lots of other moments too, but it operates at that moment. And the question really is, who will I believe? What promise will I believe? Will I believe the promise of the temptation or will I believe God's promise? Now, here's the thing. If you believe God's promise, I often talk about it this way. Every time you believe God's promise, it's like skydiving, right? There's a whole bunch of time where you feel like you're in free fall before the ripcord gets pulled. And you just got to hang on for that bit. Because you know if you can just get through that bit, the chute's going to come open, God's promises is going to start to kick in and you're going to be okay. But the problem is with a lot of Christians is that that they freak out before the ripcord ripcord pulls and it just gets messy. And they do stuff they shouldn't do and it just kind of messes up their life and then they need some more cleaning and some more healing because they didn't hold on long enough at that free fall spot. Because as humans, we want to just... We want the confirmation of the evidence straight away, don't we? But that's not going to help you to trust. So you've got to hang on for the free fall. Let me give you another one. Another one is faith in God leading you. Confession session. Who here has ever just fully, you just really, you wanted God to lay out the whole plan before you got started into it? Put your hand up if you've ever been like that. Absolutely, that's me, right? I was doing that last night a bit. I just want you to lay out the whole plan. I want it to be sorted out. But he doesn't tell you, does he? Do you know why? Because you wouldn't trust him. And he wants you to trust him because he likes you to trust him because that's what you're meant to do. 
So what's he going to do? He's going to drip feed you. <laughs> All right? That's what he's going to do. Because he's wanting to teach you to actively trust him. And he's wanting to teach you how to have biblical faith. He wants you to trust in him for what happens, not necessarily in what's going to happen. And I'll tell you this, he doesn't really like it when you trust other things. In fact, he doesn't even not really like it. He doesn't. It's abhorrent to him. That's not how it's meant to be. It's really offensive and you can see why, because he loves faith so much. He doesn't want something else, some counterfeit to be the thing that sustains you and helps you to endure. He wants to be the one. Just going to finish with a, uh, a clip about Hebrews 11. It's really just the scriptures, but it's a good way to finish and then uh, I'll pray. The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by his word, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. I just want to pray in a minute um, for people who'd like me to pray for them. You see, I believe probably some of you in the room are sensing that God's calling you in a particular direction. He's calling you to have faith and active trust in Him, and it's difficult. And in a minute, I'll give you the opportunity just to stand up where you are. And maybe if you're around them and you're just in a sweet spot at the moment and faith you know, coming pretty easily for you. You can be someone who just prays along with me for the people who are standing up around you and just pray that God would help them to have faith. Biblical faith, active trust faith. Maybe there's a future that God's calling you into or something that he wants you to do and you can't see how it's going to happen and maybe you're just balking a little bit or maybe you're not giving yourself completely to him because you're just hesitant a little bit and you kind of want the the fulfilment of it and the evidence to come before the trust. But he's not going to do that. He's going to do trust first and you just need to trust in him. I'd love to pray for you today. So I wonder if, uh, if you're one of those. I'll throw this out to you. This is the last thing I'll throw out to you. You know, one thing is incredibly critical is looking at the evidence of God helping you in the past. It's incredibly critical. 
Because I'll tell you what will happen when you get in the pressure of a moment where God's calling you to have faith is your spiritual memory will just vaporize and you won't be able to remember any other time in your life where God's ever helped you. You just go, he's never helped me and he better give me some evidence. No, he's given you lots of evidence if you walk with him for a while. Lots of evidence. We need to bank on that so that we can move into the bit that we can't see. So if you're someone who'd like just some corporate prayer for you, I'm just going to pray for whoever stands up. Why don't you stand up? You can stand up now. Not talking about giving your life to Jesus. I'm just saying God's calling you in a particular direction just at the moment. Or you're just struggling. Maybe you're anxious about something. Why don't you stand up? And I'll probably get one more category. If you're someone who you just feel your, your faith is small, because sometimes you don't end up in those places that you need to end up in because you don't even think in that direction because your faith is small, your trust is small. You feel free to stand up too and I'll pray. God, you love people trusting in you. You love people trusting in you. And you want people's trust to deepen, grow, get bigger. God, we've got people here standing now who probably confess a weakness in their trust in you, a weakness in their faith. And God, we would pray as, as a church that you'd strengthen them. God, please help them to trust you. God, help them to be bold and courageous. Not to be timid, but to be bold. God, help them to have good memories so that they can remember the way that you've worked in the past and the things that you've done in the past so that they can be confident in moving into the unseen. Confident in moving into areas that freak them out a little bit. And God, I thank you that they're in a situation at the moment that's beyond them. That you would want to right now be teaching them about trust again. Teaching them again about trust. And the truth is, God, probably most of us sitting down on any other given Sunday probably need to be standing up for this same thing. Because it's just a continual teaching us to trust you. And God, I pray that you bless them and that you help them and you remind them of your goodness. God, we're not asking for radical, bold, courageous people who have no evidence just going out and doing stuff willy-nilly. We're asking for... God, these people to be strong, bold, courageous people who know you and know how you've worked and know the truth to move confidently into areas that are unseen. That their faith, which we can't see, would lead them into areas that they can't see. Please help them, Jesus. Amen.